You turn over in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. I'll try to finish this chapter up today. And then we'll continue on afterwards. Philippians chapter 2. We've been looking at three models uh, that Paul kind of outlined for us in Philippians chapter 2 about uh, uh, models for servanthood. And um, the first one, Paul kind of reflects about himself as you look there at the end of uh, or at verse 17 and 18. He says, yes, I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Uh, I'm glad and rejoice with you all, all of you. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. And so Paul kind of lifts himself up and says, hey, if you want an example of servanthood, uh, I can be that. And I, he's not doing it in a braggadocious way. He's not doing it in a proud, proudful way. But I think God truly had him use himself as an example. And I think there are those times in life when we kind of shy away from that because we don't want to you know, use ourselves as an example. Um, but sometimes it's of the Lord. And uh, God would have it that way as it was with the Apostle Paul. The second person we looked at was Timothy. We looked at him last, last uh, week. And up to this point, you're probably saying, okay, yeah, well, the Apostle Paul. Okay, yeah, you want, you want me to serve like the Apostle Paul? Sure. Uh, even Timothy. When we looked at Timothy, this young man who just had a real servant's heart and would basically do anything for the Lord, had a very uh, sacrificial uh, heart and, and willingness to give whatever it was that Paul needed. Um, Paul said, I don't have anybody else like this guy. And you might say, well, yeah, those two guys, Paul and Timothy, and you want me to be like them? Sure. I mean, Paul is the Apostle Paul. Timothy was his right-hand man. Well, today, Paul gives us an example of somebody who's just like us. He's, he's a real down-to-earth, basic person. And sometimes it's hard to get in touch with maybe those other two guys that we looked at, and you can get the tapes on those. But when we come to the third person, Epaphrodites, in verses 25 to 30, uh, we really see someone who doesn't have the formal training, doesn't have all the accolades that these other two gentlemen had. He's just a, a servant. And uh, we want to look at those, those verses together. And if you just follow along as I read those for us this morning, verses 25 through 30 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also uh, on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking to your service toward me. And basically, 
here today, we don't have some statesman, we don't have an apostle before us, we don't have uh, even the right hand of an apostle, we have an individual by the name of Epaphrodites. And, and basically, he was a, a pretty down-to-earth person. But he exemplifies the same thing that both Paul and Timothy had. They had a servant's heart. Um, he really had nothing to gain um, by doing all this. In other words, he wasn't trying to be an apostle or anything. He wasn't a great teacher or preacher or proclaimer of the truth. Um, he didn't have the popularity maybe Timothy had because he hung around with Paul all the time. Uh, he was trained by Paul and he had a significant ministry of his own. There's really nothing here that we know about Epaphroditus to say, oh, that was his in. You know, that's what he was really good at or this is what he was, you know, really praised uh, for other than the servant's heart that we're going to look at today. Um, we don't see a real gifted person here. I mean, we all have gifts from the Lord, but we don't see somebody like the Apostle Paul or even like Timothy. He's pretty down to earth. And you might say this is the people's model of servanthood, somebody that we can hopefully relate to. Um, now, you have to remember the, the context of all this. Paul's basically telling, telling us, and he's been telling us through this whole chapter, that he's talking about true humility. He's talking about having a humble heart, having a servant's heart. Even back in verse 12, he says, you know, do all things. Um, or in verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling um, before God. And then he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, and he kind of sums it all up, and he basically says, live out your salvation. If you're going to be a Christian, live out your salvation in humility without complaining. That's kind of the, the summarization of, of what Paul has told us up to this point. And he says, you know what? It's kind of balancing these two things. If things go good for you, then don't be proud about it. Don't sit there and be puffed up with pride and say, oh yeah, well things went good because of who I am. You know, uh, on the other hand, if things go difficult for you, he's saying don't complain about them. He covers both both ends of the balance here. And sometimes, you know, we have a tendency to think more of ourselves than we ought. And things are going well at the job or in the family or whatever, and we're thinking, yeah, you know, this is great. This is the Christian life. And you know, we begin to get, get a pretty big head. We begin to think, yeah, well, I'm, we're not, I'm not like that other guy who has problems at work and family and all this stuff. And, and pretty soon, this pride fills up our lives because we don't have the proper focus. We think that somehow we're doing this on our own. And Paul is continually telling us, if things go well for you, don't think it's you. Give glory to God. And if things go bad for you, don't go around hanging your head in the mud and saying, oh, woe is me, you know, gee, you know, you've met people like that. Everything is just a, a bummer. I mean, they're just always depressed about everything. And, and it's, it's like, you know, I think sometimes we need to wake up and say, hey, if I'm saved, why am I, why am I feeling these things? This, these things should not be this way. I mean, I should have the joy of the Lord in my heart. Yeah, we all go through difficult times. But you know what? Live out your salvation with humility and do it without complaining about things. And so he gave us these three models, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites. Well, what we know about this guy is not a whole lot. Uh, we don't know anything about his background directly. We don't know anything about him directly. We don't know anything about his parents. Uh, we don't know how long he's been a Christian. We don't know what his function was in the church. And we really don't even know anything except by implication what's in our text here. So we can kind of get a little bit of profile about this guy. It's just another name. 
It's just a name that he, he puts here, but you look at the company that he puts it in, Paul, Timothy, Epaphrodites. So there must have been something special about this individual. Now you remember that Paul was a, a prisoner and about a two-year incarceration in this private house. He wasn't necessarily in a prison. He was chained to a Roman guard in 24-7, and he was in a private house that was owned probably by the Roman government. And he was pretty much free to do what he wanted to do within those confined spaces so people could come and he could teach and things like that. And, and during this, this time that he was imprisoned by Rome, he, he still had some of these freedoms. Now, the Philippian church, whom he loved very much, and we've gone over that, we've talked about that. Um, when it was founded in Acts 16, they became aware of, when they became aware of his situation, Paul's situation, being in prison and all that, they wanted to figure out a way that they could help him. Okay, it'd be like if, if, if you had a friend that ended up in prison somehow. Well, hopefully you would at least correspond with them or you'd do something along that thing to try to help them through the situation, especially if they're in there unjustly as Paul was. Paul didn't do anything wrong. He was just preaching the gospel and that's why he was arrested. So hopefully if somebody barged into here and arrested us, we would have somebody else in our lives that would write us and maybe visit us and, and I don't know what goes on that much in, in jails, but I know it's not a real fun place and you know, a lot of times they need funds because they gotta buy certain things and earn credit for certain things and all that. And you know, a lot of that, you know, I, I would want those things if I was in jail unjustly. But here the Philippians wanted to send someone to Paul to kind of find out how he was doing. And so they sent this guy Epaphroditus and he was sent with money they actually sent some money to Paul, and uh, he was a, kind of a delegate of this church. And he went and he was to stay with Paul as one of his servants. And any, any needs that Paul had, he was supposed to take care of those for Paul. Now that kind of tells us a little bit about him just by inference. I mean, I don't think the Philippians church, because they loved Paul so much, I don't think they would send somebody who is just, you know, a, a bummer guy that was just, you know, he couldn't help Paul at all. I mean, this guy obviously had some credentials, um, at least in his character, maybe not officially, but he had a servant's heart. Why would they serve somebody, why would they send somebody to serve Paul if he, this guy didn't even have a servant's heart? So he had a heart of a servant, and he was also available to go because he went. And then also, I think that he, he must have been a godly example. Because, you know, I, I can't imagine if we were going to pick somebody out of our our, our congregation here to go minister to somebody that we would look for the least on the totem pole as far as their spirituality. Or maybe we'd even find somebody that's not a Christian among us and say, well, let's send him. We wouldn't do that. We would want to find somebody that's, that's spiritually in tune with what God is doing. And so we kind of know that much just by inference about Epaphroditus. And so we knew that he was uh, willing to take a chance. Think about it. You, you know, you're going to uh, leave your, your home church and you're going to a place to visit some guy who's in prison and you're supposed to be this guy's servant. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the top five things on my list to do every day. You know? uh, and, and so he was willing to say, hey, you know what, this is where God is leading me and irregardless of any risk that might be involved, I'm willing to do that. So he, he really had the heart of a servant. Now, there's not a lot mentioned. There's, there's one other name, Epaphras, mentioned in Colossians 1.7, but we really don't have any reason to believe that this is the same individual. Okay, But Epaphroditus was a common name uh, back then, and uh, it, it, it really 
was named after the, the Greek god of love. Um, and so that's kind of, maybe he came from a, a pagan background. Um, we don't know. But he's saved here, and uh, that's kind of where, where his heart is. And he wants to serve Paul with all that he has. Now, Paul is, is talking about Epaphroditus, and he refers to him in five different ways. And you notice there in the text, in, in verse 25, he says, Yet I consider it necessary to send to you. He's sending back. Okay, they sent, they sent Paul, Epaphroditus, and now he's saying, Hey, I'm going to send him back to you guys. And then he gives three different titles of this individual. And first of all, he calls him my brother. And each one of those is kind of marked, in, hopefully in your translation, by the, the word my, or, or it's kind of inferred there. And so it shows that Paul had a kind of a personal relationship with this guy. It wasn't just, oh yeah, I'm sending that guy back. <laughs> you know, No, I'm sending my brother back. Um, he probably means that in sense of spiritual birth. In other words, not his literal brother, but his spiritual brother. We're all, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, they have a common source of life, God. That's, that's what that means, to be a brother or sister in the Lord. They have a common bond in Christ. They have a camaraderie, a friendship, hopefully, affection, um, feelings for the same things. See, that's why it's, if you've ever gone on vacation and you've gone to visit another church and you've walked in the church and maybe you don't even know anybody, never been to that church before, but immediately, if they're true believers and you're a true believer, you kind of have a camaraderie because you have that same spirit, the Holy Spirit that resides in all believers. And so he says, I have a, a real affection for this guy. And I want you to know that Epaphroditus, um, you know, shares this life with me. He's my, my brother, first of all. Secondly, he gives him the title, my fellow worker. In other words, he's not only related to me spiritually through Christ, but also in ministry. This, this individual, Epaphroditus, was apparently alongside of Paul, even helping him in the ministry. And that says a lot. Um, the word here, fellow worker or fellow servant, is used uh, 13 times in the New Testament. And 12 times out of that 13, it's used by Paul. He uses it of people who worked alongside him in ministry. His fellow worker. Um, if you turn over one page there in your Bible to chapter 4, verse 3, Says, I urge you also, true companion or true worker, same same thing. They help these women who labored with me in the gospel. And he goes on there down at the bottom, and he says, with Clement also and the rest of my what fellow workers. Okay, Paul didn't view himself as being above everybody. Just you know, uh, just that, that God raised him up to an elevation nobody else could attain to. That's not how Paul viewed himself. Paul viewed himself as just a fellow worker among those who serve the Lord. Now, yeah, he was an apostle. I mean, he was chosen by God to do what he did. But I don't think that we pick up that he was ever had to, you know, uh, necessarily in a, in, a, in a wrongful way um, kind of appeal to that. Now, he had to make claim that he was an apostle because 
There were people that attacked him and said, well, you couldn't have been an apostle because you, know, you didn't meet the risen Lord. Well, yes, he did. He met him on the road to Damascus. That's why he's referred to as an apostle born out of due time. But he says here that this, is, this guy's his fellow worker. And, you know, there's nothing like having someone alongside of you in ministry that's willing to serve right alongside of you, to do whatever. Um, you know, I remember as an associate pastor a lot of times, you know, you got to ask to do some pretty weird things, you know, just whatever it was, um, because that's kind of what, what your role was. And in the first church I served in, at First Baptist Church in Fremont, I was the music director. I didn't know anything about that. I, nothing. They just hired an associate pastor, and, and I thought I was going to be the youth pastor, and that was it, because that's what I kind of did before at the other church when I was doing my internship. I wasn't really even ever even trained in that officially. But I thought, well, I'll just be the youth pastor. And, and so through the interview, the, he says, well, do you have any music ability? I said, well, I can play the piano and stuff. I don't know. Oh, good. Then you can lead the choir. I'm like, what? And I wanted the job. You know, this is my first opportunity. So I'm like, okay, God, I guess I could lead a choir. I don't know. I don't, I have the slightest idea what a choir even does. I mean, you know, it's just weird. So, and then he goes, you know, do you have any mechanical ability? And I said, well, I changed my own my car and changed my own brakes. Good. Then you can direct our bus ministry too, because a big part of that is maintaining those two buses out there. And I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, it basically, that's what it was. Yes, a handyman, the church handyman. And, you know, and, but you know what? It was like, that's what God wanted me to do. And I never, ever, you know, and those bus parts are big parts. You know, you don't just take a little rinse out there and change the oil on those babies. I mean, they're big old filters and you're under there. And it's, oh, it's, the good thing is you don't have to jack them up because they're already, you know, three feet off the ground, so you got to get something to prop you up while you're working on these things. But, you know, I remember, I mean, just looking at, now going back and looking at the schedule, I mean, you know, we had, you know, a youth meeting on Wednesday night, and then Thursday night was bus ministry visitation. Um, I think Tuesday night was choir practice. Friday night, I don't know what that was, I can't remember. It was something, we always did something with the youth Friday night. Saturday morning was bus ministry visitation again. And then you had Sunday, and then you start this whole thing over. And it was just like you're just running around just doing all this stuff. But you know what? I, I, I never forget that the, the, the first pastor, right before he left, he never really said this while I was working with him. Dan Edmondson was his name. And real conservative guy. I mean, this guy wore a tie to bed, I think. I, really, I'm serious. I mean, I got there and I just thought, you know, because after he, he broke the ice with the choir thing, he says, well, what kind of music do you like? And then I told him, and that, boy, that almost lost me the job right there, the whole thing. But um, he, he went to Bob Jones University, got his doctorate from Bob Jones University. That's the only university he's ever gone to. And so he was very, very starch and, you know. And, but I remember when he, he resigned and he was leaving, you know, and I worked with him, I think, three years. And it was kind of a challenge in different ways. But, you know, I remember him saying before he left, you know, Joyce and his wife, Joyce and I really want to thank you for just supporting us while you're here, while you were here, and uh, while we were here. And, I mean, he'd been in the church 12 years or something like that. And, um, you know, it, it was good to hear those words, that all this stuff that I was doing, it was appreciated. And, and I think sometimes, you know, we're do when we're doing it for the Lord, 
you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for a pat on the back when you do something for the Lord. I mean, it's nice to get them, but you know what? You don't, you don't do it. That's not your motivating factor. And see here, he's saying, hey, you know what? Epaphrodite is not only my brother, but he's a fellow worker. He's down there in the trench with me. And that's, that's the kind of person that, you know, you want alongside of you in ministry. And I know that. I mean, even here in our body, I know even John and Ken. I mean, I could call them at 3 in the morning and say, hey, I, I need this. And if they were able to be there, they would be there. And the same, we have that kind of a relationship. I remember one time when we rented the church out and we went downstairs and, and uh, rented it out to a Samoan group, I think, or Tongan church, and uh, they plugged up all the toilets. It's horrible. Went downstairs and stuff's coming out of the. Oh, it was bad. All over. And, you know, this is after we cleaned up out here. And I'm down there with my little shop vac thinking, what am I. You know, it's like 3.30 in the morning. And they got to be back here at 9 o'clock in the morning to use the whole facility over again. And I'm going, what am I going to do? You know, and I think I was relatively new. And so I called Ken, all clean. That, that kind of makes sense. You know. I remember talking to him. Yeah, I'm standing in this stuff downstairs and this keeps coming out. I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll bring my shop back down. You know, we worked for a couple hours down there and got it all done. But see, that's the kind of fellow worker that you want, you know, alongside of you. And, and it's just kind of a, a, a neat thing that we need to be reminded of that. That, you know, it's not a, it's not a one-man show. It's not a two-man show. It, it takes a whole body for ministry to happen. And, and that's just, it's so important that we remember that. Because things don't just happen. People make things happen. Um, thirdly there, he uses the term fellow soldier. They were not only just brothers in life and love and, and workers together in Christ, but he, he refers to them as his fellow soldier. Um, it's a very honorable title, that, that word. Uh, it's it's um, really used of a... A common soldier that was kind of brought out from the from the ranks and kind of brought alongside the leadership. Um, it was kind of to make that that soldier almost equal to the commander in chief. And so, uh, in one case, it was used to make a warrior equal to the king. And so, when you say a, a fellow soldier, it's not just oh yeah, we're doing battle together. It means so much more than that. I mean, your, your arms are locked together, and it's like no matter what, that's where we're going. We're going to take that hill or whatever it might be. And I think Paul really is, is pulling Epaphrodites up. He's saying, hey, don't, don't think too low of yourself, because you know what? You're just like me in this. I count on you. You're my fellow soldier. You're, you're on an equal basis with me as far as your spirituality and everything else. And I think that it's, it's so important that we, we view ourselves as that way, and that we, we don't have a loftier view of ourselves than we ought. We're all in this together, every one of us. And we need to pull together and do what God wants us to do here in this community and here even in the peninsula and in the world. So the first three there are very personal. And then he, he basically calls them two other things here in, in verse 25. And... You can kind of set those apart by the word your. He says, but your messenger. Notice the, the first word there, your messenger. And uh, it, it's really the word apostle. That's what that word literally means. It's a, it's, it's a uh, uh, transliteration of, of the word. 
Does it mean he was like the 12? What does that mean? Does it mean that he was an apostle, really? I mean, it's not referring to that. It's basically saying that, hey, you know what? He was one who was sent. He was sent to me from you guys. That's what he's saying. And in Galatians 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father. See, one of the qualifications to be an apostle in the New Testament was you had to see the risen Lord. That was one of the qualifications. You had to see the risen Lord. If you saw the risen Lord, then you could be deemed the, an apostle. God called you to be an apostle. That's why people had a problem with Paul, because he hadn't seen the risen Lord until he showed up on the road to Damascus. And he was blinded. You remember the story. Jesus Christ made a special trip back here just for the Apostle Paul. And so he could be referred to as an apostle as well. And I think it's a, kind of a very important designation. Um, but he's an apostle of, of the, the church of Philippi. He was sent from the Philippians to Paul. And so he was a sent one. And secondly there, it refers to him as the messenger. A messenger. Um, and you say, well, a messenger of what? What, what, what? what was his message? Well, he brought Paul money. We know that because that's what he, it says there. And he sent basically whatever they sent. We wasn't sure it was just money, but money was part of it there was probably some form of a message from that church to Paul with it. Probably a message of love and prayer or something like that. But he says that he's a, a minister, a messenger, a minister to my need. Okay? He's your minister to my need. In other words, you've sent him, and now he's, he's here among us. He's not only your messenger, but he's also a minister to my need. We get the word liturgy from that same word. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting little side note. Um, liturgy has to do with the sacred, priestly, religious uh, service um, that they used to do in the Old Testament. That's where we get that word from. Um, even today, it's used in certain forms of, of worship. Uh, and so here... It says that Epaphras comes as a ceremonial servant, you might say, a minister to Paul. And it's, it's not a religious term as much as it is a spiritual term. And he really wants to, to minister to Paul's spiritual needs. That was, that was one of his reasons, not just to give him some money, but to really minister to him on their behalf. So he brought a message with him, but he also ministered to Paul in a very dynamic way. And sometimes God has us as messengers. God has us as ministers. And we have to know sometimes where that line is. I know sometimes when you get called out on a chaplain call, you know, um, you don't know what's it, what's it going to involve usually until you get to the door. And you get to the door and you meet the sergeant on this thing and on, on the, the scene there and he'll say, well, we just had a family that lost their two-year-old little baby or whatever. Or their grandmother passed away or whatever it might be. And you've got to make a decision. Okay, am I here with message or minister? What am I doing here? Why am I here, God? And sometimes God doesn't necessarily just show you right away. 
you kind of kind of feel it out. And one time I went to one of those things, and they all spoke Spanish. I didn't, I don't speak any Spanish. So I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be difficult. You know, I mean, taco burrito—that's about the extent of my Spanish. Feliz Navidad. You know, I mean, that's it. And so, uh, how am I going to relate to these people? You know, and it just so happened that an officer was there. He was actually off duty, and and he spoke Spanish. He was actually one of the, their translators. And so he came over, and I was able to share with this family through a translator, which is difficult because you don't know if you're even getting through. Just, you know, some basic needs that they had to take care of, funeral things, stuff like that. And then I just asked them if, they, if I minded to pray with them, and they said no. And we, we did all that, and, and after the whole thing was over, this translator came to me and talked to me after, you know, everybody had left, and I'm getting ready to leave. And this translator basically said, you know, some of the things you said really touched my heart. And I'm thinking, is this why you had me here, God? I mean, I'm not even ministering to the people in need of this guy's just helping out by translating. And, and, you know, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit about his family and, and what was going on. And, you know, I don't even know what words I said. But see, sometimes we're sent as a messenger. Sometimes God wants us to minister to people. And we need to be sensitive about that. Now, you look at Epaphroditus here, and in verse 26, and we're going to kind of finish this up quickly. Since he was longing for you all, and it says that he was distressed because... You had heard that he was sick. He was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. I know some people like that. You know, there's some people that they get sick, and the last thing they want anybody, you know, I have a dear brother-in-law that's going in for a surgery here for in uh, on the 13th. He doesn't want anybody to know, including me. But his sister, who's a believer, said, you need to be praying for him. And, and so we're doing that. And so she called me yesterday and said, I just want to let you know, I think he's going to call you and ask you to pray with him over the phone. I said, okay, that's fine. You know. And so we're trying to reach out to my brother-in-law. And, and I don't know where he's at spiritually. I don't think he's saved. But you know, we've been say, praying that God somehow would bring something into his life that would you know, cause him to reflect on his relationship with God. And well, he's doing that. But here, it's saying that he was longing for you because, and was stressed, distressed because he heard, you heard that he was sick. In other words, there's some people that worry about what other people's impression more than they're, they're even themselves. Verse 27, he says, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. I mean, he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, Paul would have lost out too if Epaphroditus died because he was serving Paul just as well. Therefore I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I, be, and I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all, with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. So you, you kind of see that this man must have been somebody special for Paul to be able to say that, to say, hey, you know what, hold this person up. And it says in verse 30, because for the Lord's, the work of Christ, he came close to death. So it wasn't like he just had pneumonia and he, was, he almost died. He was actually probably just worn out due to ministry. And he, he was worn out to the point of death. But it shows you his attitude there in verse 30, not regarding, regarding his life. In other words, once again, that sacrificial attitude. 
that attitude of, hey, you know what? At all costs, I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Irregardless, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. You know, I don't know about you, but I know this time of year, sometimes we can get everything totally out of whack. We get our priorities, everything. Time, schedules. And it seems that everything kind of goes on the back burner. Because, why? It's Christmas. And I just want to encourage you, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you don't allow that to happen this year. You know, here was Epaphrodites, I mean, who probably should have been concerned about his own health. I mean, he almost died for the work of the gospel. But he was willing to, he wasn't even thinking about that. He was willing to serve no matter what the cost. And I would encourage you to look around, you know, your family, your neighborhood, um, people across the street, people at the supermarket, wherever. Look for ways that you can either be a messenger to them or a minister to them. Because God will surely open up doors. But we have to be willing. We have to be able to, to, to use what God has gifted us with for His glory and, and to use it to honor Him. Let's close in a word of prayer and we'll, we'll close with a song. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And Lord, we pray that You would minister uh, to each heart here. Lord, we ask that uh, You would uh, continue the, the work that You're doing. And Father, we pray that more than anything else, that your, your word would just continue to minister to our hearts. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would um, touch their heart, uh, cause them to reflect on your grace in their lives, uh, cause them to reflect on their own sinfulness before a holy God. And Father, that you would do that work um, in a mighty way. And Father, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.